the best product. I've been involved in the Patagonia field testing program for a little over 20 years right now. For silent sports done in nature. That's the feeling. That's the feeling that I fell in love with with climbing. Cause no unnecessary harm. Of organic cotton and recycled polyester to recycling the clothing to measuring our carbon footprint. Inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. To give some love back to this river that doesn't have any. It's not getting any love. See what drives us at Patagonia.com. Welcome to the Dirtbag Diaries, a duct tape and beer production. With additional support from Kuat Racks and New Belgium Brewing. So plastic grocery bags. I try to be really good at always remembering to bring the cloth ones, but somehow, as hard as I try, those plastic bags, they seem to find their way into our house. And clearly, I am not alone on this. They're stuffed into kitchen drawers or alongside the refrigerator. They're jammed into landfills, littering roadsides, coastlines, even trailheads. I'm a good recycler, but I can't figure out which ones can be recycled, or more importantly, where. The stats show that I'm not alone in my confusion. 30 million tons of plastic bag waste in 2010 in the U.S. alone. That's somewhere around 100 billion of these bags, and only 8% get recycled. Even when the bags do make it to a recycling center, the plastic has to be taken back to square one, a process which requires an immense amount of energy. It's a problem that can feel daunting, unsolvable. At least, it's not in my wheelhouse of skills. But surely, someone out there is thinking about new ways to use this stuff. Enter my friend, Will Wells. It's plastic, man. Like It's as malleable and as flexible as it comes. As long as I've known Will, he's worked with his hands. He's been a person who tinkers and designs. He used to create these amazing etch-a-sketch drawings. He worked as a finished carpenter on high-end homes in San Francisco before returning to school at Rhode Island School of Design. Will's focus was industrial design, applying art and science to improve the look, use, or feel of a product. And during his junior year, Will took a studio course called Waste for Life. And as it was sort of described was, you know, we're going to try to design products using plastic bags and we're going to build a machine to press the plastic bags. The The root of it was to address the problem of the cartoneros in Buenos Aires, Argentina. These people collect paper and bring it to recycling facilities to make a buck. The, the deal down there is the economy is so bad that there are a lot of people with even college educations that are just out of work. So you have a lot of skilled labor but no jobs. They were asked, you know, what what has no value? or no perceived value, and they said plastic bags, because even companies and individuals were becoming savvy to the fact that paper has value. So people were recycling their own stuff. Companies were recycling their own stuff. Cartoneros no longer had a source of income. At the time, Waste for Life was a loose collective of designers, architects, and engineers from around the world. A Canadian engineer had designed a plastic press made of I-beams and C-channel, steel components that can be easily found in old construction all over the world. So Willie and his class, they took the blueprints for this machine, they cleaned them up, and manufactured the first press. And then we literally had 16 students making all different parts for the machine. And it took us about half the semester, and then, you know, lo and behold, we got this huge panini press, in essence. And the first piece that came out, you know, it was all brown stop-and-shop shopping bags, and it, 
it looked like a brown pancake. It had some rigidity, but some flexibility, and there wasn't really much. It wasn't very inspiring, I should say. Uh, but, you know, a couple more tests, and I started to feel some material that resembled sort of something like leather. And, uh, you know, it was that night when I was really racking my brain to come up with products that had high perceived value, something that could make the material transcend what it actually was uh, without, you know, having any really expensive material component to it. And so I came up with soft goods and the wallet specifically. And, you know, in my brain, I thought, oh, man, I'm, I'm just going to cut the parts, all the parts of the wallet. I'm going to, you know, put little pieces of parchment paper in between them. So then when I put it all in the press, it's going to come out the wall. It's going to have pockets. It's going to be done. <laughs> and so I tried that the next day and came out with this mush of plastic that, that really um, maybe resembled a wallet, but it was more like a bear trap. Will tried to make a wallet using the same method three or four more times, but with no better results. Then one day a classmate had an idea to fill the press with different types of plastic bags like newspaper sleeves and dry cleaning bags. Will was re-inspired by the material that came out, and by the end of the semester he had produced a wallet that actually looked pretty cool. The joints weren't as durable as he wanted, but Waste for Life still selected the wallets as the first product that would go to Argentina for production. After the studio ended, I pursued it further. You know, I kept going in and using this monstrosity that we had built. You know, I now own that machine because RISD was going to toss it out. The thing that I really wanted was to redesign the press because there was a ton of heat loss. It took an hour to heat up. It was operated by a bottle jack beneath, so you had to literally squat down and crank a bottle jack in order for it to close. It was not ergonomic. Not to say that it wasn't brilliant as like a first iteration, but... As luck would have it, there was a company 40 minutes away that manufactured heat presses. He secured a grant that awarded him enough money to purchase a press. Then he modified it into a more efficient press for the plastic bags. Using the new press, Willie continued to experiment with different iterations of the wallet design. And then two years later, in 2012, Willie founded the Providence Plastics Project with two partners. Uh, and they have very different backgrounds. Uh, I'm the 34-year-old, there's a 41-year-old, and then there's a 25-year-old. So we're, we're about a decade apart, all of us, and all have sort of different specialties. The older guy is a painter, and he's really taken the material and added art to it. You know, my paths in education made me want to just streamline and normalize everything. But, you know, he's really made it his own. Steve, you know, he's, he's of the generation that, you know, using social media is like drinking water. And so he's the one who, who writes everything on our website and who does the social media stuff. You know, the, the three of us all have full-time jobs. Um, so it's, that's been probably the hardest thing is, you know, how much can you, how can you start a company with two hours or three hours a night, a couple days a week? For years, Willie pursued the local newspaper company. He wanted to collect the plastic newspaper bags from the subscribers. But the plastics project was simply too small to get a company owned by a big corporation in Dallas to pay attention. Unwilling to give up, Will drove to the production facility, walked in, and gave every employee a handmade wallet. 
only to find out that they outsourced the distribution of the sleeves. They didn't even make them there. So still determined, he started paying visits to the distribution facility. So I had always thought, oh, they must be shoving these newspapers into the plastic bags with the machine. Not so. It's, it's individuals who do it in the middle of the night. And these bags come hung on cardboard hooks. When they get down to just a few bags left, the bags don't tear off properly. So they just throw the last three or four bags away every time. <laughs> and so it's virgin material that goes in the garbage. And in addition to that, the newspaper, I think, by law is not allowed to throw you know, more than three newspapers onto a stoop if somebody's not home. And when those come back, they have to recycle the newspapers. But all those bags get thrown out. And so I found a carrier that works there, and he was willing to put a bin that said bags only in the facility. And so now every two weeks, we get a bag full of bags, which is really cool. The even bigger success came when Courtesy Cleaners, Rhode Island's largest dry cleaning company, agreed to put collection bins in all of their facilities and to deliver the truckloads of bags every month. Will and company also partnered with Project Repat, a company that upcycles old t-shirts into quilts. Project Repat would send Providence Plastic their textile strips. These strips reinforced the walls, made manufacturing easier, and allowed more potential for graphics. Yeah, right now our shop's just getting loaded to the hilt with dry cleaning bags. <laughs> <laughs> Last year, Providence Plastics Project launched their website and started selling four different models of wallets and an iPhone sleeve. Each item is one of a kind, totally unique piece of art that came from garbage. And they've continued to experiment to use the material to manufacture hard goods, things like furniture, out of these repurposed bags, the things that we throw away. The hope is that moving forward, they can streamline the manufacturing process and provide detailed templates that allow others to replicate the process wherever they are in the world. You know, I know, I know deep down that it's something that I think is worthwhile to pursue. You know, the fact that the material can make so many different things and that the alternative is in a landfill or in the ocean uh, or maybe at best as like a dog poop bag. You know, <laughs> I can kind of bring myself back and say, you know, at the very least, I'm serving the function of like a trash compactor. And then I can kind of get myself even further beyond that and, and hope that it will inspire somebody to make something even more important. The calendars flip to January, so that means it's time for our annual year of big ideas. We talk to friends, contributors, and Diaries fans, all to see what you have in mind for 2014. Here's to going big, traveling to new places, and trying something new. And here's to making something that changes the world, even if it's small. I'm Fitzcahal, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. I, I made a list when I was in the Grand Canyon, and it only has two things on it. And it says, number one, do things, and number two, make things. And if it doesn't fall under those two categories, I'm going to not do it this year. 
2013 was a big year for me. I uh, quit my day job, moved into a van, and have really pursued writing as a full-time career. So 2014, I kind of am trying to take it to the next level on my in my three different things that I really love, which are riding, biking, and climbing. So I've been working on a couple writing projects that I've been talking about and dreaming about for a long time, but really I'm excited to put in the elbow grease and see them come to fruition in 2014. In biking, I really want to do a big bike packing trip this year. And there's a trail that we're looking at that would be a three or four week trip that may never have been mountain biked start to finish. And so it's going to be something that really scares me, but kind of a dream come true trip. And then for climbing, I really want to learn to place trad gear. So watch for me on your uh, local five fours. I'll be slowly making my way up, learning how to build anchors. <laughs> Well, I graduate at the end of this week, hopefully, if everything goes well, from Presby College. So that, that, my goal for this week is to finish that up. <laughs> my goal for next year is to figure out life after graduation, go on a human-powered desert tower climbing trip. I think we're planning on like four or five weeks, um, and I've never done a bike tour before. plan for next year is to travel from here over to Canada and race the Tour Divide. So it's 2,700 miles. You carry all your own stuff. You decide how long you want to ride for each day. You decide how much food you want to carry. Um, and people aim to kind of tour it in about 60 to 70 days. The closest thing I've done is the Highland Trail. Um, so 430 odd miles in uh, Scotland self-supported but i'd say almost 70 to 80 percent of it's going to be in your head to just not give up and that's that's kind of the draw to it i suppose i think if you just do stuff that you know you can do all the time it's it's not really that fun Um, with the schedule, we're looking at getting over 400 veterans outside, taking folks out into the land, the land that they serve for. So we have come up with some unique hot trips to snowshoe and ski into huts, to shovel them out, to stack the wood, to take care of them. We've got the, another week ice climbing and highlight with Conrad. We've got three more ice trips in uh, Colorado. One that I'm really excited about is going to southern Utah with Doug Peacock you know, and Ed Abbey's works. So he, he's a real person. We partnered up with Sierra Club Mission Outdoors to help create some training opportunities for veterans and then also a fistful of certifications for guiding and things like that with the idea being that we're building our own veteran uh, leadership base. We're hosting an academic symposium with the University of Utah that's bringing together a lot of the existing research around people recovering from trauma in the military and post-traumatic stress and the benefits of that, both from a recreational therapy perspective as well as just getting outdoors. A huge climbing schedule in the Pacific Northwest. It's going to be Rainier, Mount Hood, and Mount Shasta. Our September 11th climb, it's called the Pickett's Climb. It's in the North Cascades. It was done historically by some veterans, and as far as we've researched, no one's done it since. And all of the schedule is working towards 
2015 summit of Denali, and we are working towards the 2016 goal of uh, sending up a team on Everest. This year, 2013 was, I mean, it was kind of like our year of getting in a little bit of exotic travel. And next year is definitely not going to be so exotic for us. My husband and I are expecting our first child in May. And we're just hoping to be able to get out and do a little backpacking and kind of see how this third person kind of fits into that outdoor life. It's going to be really hard in 2014 because 2013 was just such an incredible year. From being awarded Nat Geo Adventure of the Year for all of 2014 to getting married to we did a, a great adaptive backcountry ski clinic last year which was phenomenal but I think 2014 is going to be an even better year. One of my personal goals is to complete the 10th Mountain Hut Traverse from Aspen to Vale on skis. One of the other highlights is just hoping to spend a couple of weeks and getting lost as part of our honeymoon. I think 2014 is going to be another incredible year. And I think, you know, when you're focused on getting outdoors and you always have something to look forward to. Tuesday of this week, somebody I knew very well was killed. And um, it's been really weighing on me the past two days. And it's been making me think. Our time here, very short. And uh, made me really think about music, my music, the fact that it's uh, this almost universal language that can, I mean, it'll last, it lasts forever. I mean, and I think that's why I, I really, I feel this like, kind of sense of almost duty to go to the Grand Tetons, capture that instrumentally, musically. First time I went, I was 15. My family and I packed up our truck and my dad had just gotten a camper. So we, we drove from Chicago all the way out to Wyoming and stayed there for about a week. You know, we'd set up the camp and, uh, you know, pulled into the campsite. And I kind of went off by myself just to do some exploring. And um, I think I was listening to, like, Led Zeppelin and my little Walkman that I had. And the song was Brani Yar, which is a really folky acoustic song anyways. And I was, that was playing and as I had came out of the forest onto the shores of this little lake. And I just looked up. It was about sunset, the magic hour. And I had my little disposable camera with me. I took some pictures and... I don't know, something happened in that moment where I just had felt a strong connection with uh, this this area, this, the mountains, the lake, just the wind, everything about it created this amazing moment for me. It was probably my first spiritual experience of feeling connected to nature. I would love to kind of write a series of instrumental pieces on uh, the Grand Tetons and just kind of explore that region again, at being at age 24. I think my goal is to fail more because if I fail more, it means I'm taking bigger risks and really putting myself out there. Uh, I think there's a lot of security in just taking on projects you can accomplish, whether it's um, for my career as a writer or getting out in the woods and adventuring. I think putting myself in positions where, uh, living up to the exact expectations or sticking to the route I planned or um, having the right everything all the time means I haven't gone at it hard enough and haven't set goals that are hard enough. I think that's what I want to do and really prioritize next year. 
My goal is to do more things just because they make me happy. That means doing things not because they're building towards some bigger goal or because they're good for me in some way, but just simply because they make me happy. To me, I just want to continue to tell stories that I enjoy telling and preferably with as little editorial guidance as possible. You know, like, okay, I do this to make a living, but, you know, I also have to do things that mean something to me. So if that means it doesn't have any money attached to it, I don't want to lose sight of that. You know, I don't want to have to have a paycheck for everything. So maybe that's dumb, but maybe maybe it's totally visionary too. Who knows? Austin, what is your goal for 2014? My goal is to quit my job. Where do you work? (laughs) I work for you. So why are you leaving an awesome job with awesome people? That's me tooting my own horn. Why are you going to leave that job? Um, Well, like the truth of the matter is like to tell all the stories that we do, to do all this takes a lot of time behind the scenes a lot of time in front of a computer and I just want to spend more time outside this year climbing and being a dirtbag living in the dirt are you going to go out and make your own stories I plan to yeah say that yes I'm going to blow you out of the water <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying like making like I'm saying like what was what's like what's the question what so what do you when you quit what are you going to do with yourself I thought I already answered that question. Why'd you quit? Dude, I don't know how to put this into words. Succinctly. And just put it into words. Um, I mean, a big part of it is, uh, you know, I've spent the last two years having an incredible time telling all these stories of other people who are incredibly inspiring and have done amazing things in, in the outdoors. You know, whether it's amputees climbing El Cap or... Um, people biking across Central Asian countries by themselves. And, I mean, doing all those projects, for me, it was very inspiring to tell them, but also just inspired me to want to go do more of that myself. It's kind of hard to (laughs) work here and not want to just go spend more time outside, like creating those stories in my own life. Okay, Becca, what's our goal for the year? Our goal for this year is to figure out another trip to take as a family and to get Tep out into the wilderness. Since he was born, that's been one of our main goals, to to get ourselves in the wilderness and and to get him out there. And we've taken him on backpacking trips, and this last year we took him on a canoe trip in Minnesota in the Boundary Waters, and it's just awesome to watch him come alive and us figure out ways to experience the outdoors and for us it's really pushed us in new ways to try different things like that minnesota trip for me it was really hard to go on i mean between work and there were all these just big stressful things that were saying don't take this trip and in the back of my mind i just 
realized like I was never going to get that chance back because Tep was going to be older. You know, it was, it was just like, that was the really cool thing about traveling with, with a kid is you realize like you only get one shot at that. And I think that's so true for all the other things we do in the outdoors. And sometimes it's hard to realize that sometimes it's easy to sort of be like, well, let's save that for another day or, or save that for another year. And the truth is, is it's like when that opportunity presents itself, you got to take it. And I think that's what, that's what those trips have taught me with TEP. When it's there, you have to do it, even though a lot of times the, the pressure or the, the nervousness about doing it, it's all there. It's, it's, it's kind of stressful before you start the trip, and it's the most rewarding thing you do. Music today by Angie and Car Rex, 202, The Walt Hall Tango, Block Party, and Tokyo Police Club. And special thanks to Diaries listeners John Barry for providing a song as well. You can find the links to the artists on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Support for the Diaries comes from you. Whether it's a pledge contribution, a story idea, a t-shirt order, or even just an email of thanks, you keep the Diaries thriving. If you want to help, you can find all those necessary links at dirtbagdiaries.com. The diaries would not be possible without the good people at Patagonia. With clothes made from environmentally conscious fibers like organic cotton, chlorine-free wool, and recycled polyester and nylon, Patagonia is creating new solutions for a responsible economy. Find out more at patagonia.com. Thanks, Kuat, for your unwavering support. This is the little company that believed they could make a better bike rack for you. See their lineup of roof racks, hitch racks, and gear baskets at kuatracks.com. Additional support comes from New Belgium Brewing, who encourages you to follow your folly. I'm Fitzka Hall, and you've been listening to the Dirtback Diaries. Diaries.